you need a Bible, should be one there in the pew in front of you. And we're trying to continue through our study in the book of Colossians. And uh, we may or may not finish chapter 1 today. We'll just see how far we get. We are continuing, God bless, in this section. And um, just for my AVT department's sake, uh, we're going to pick up on the what question. Uh, because if you recall last week, uh, as we were kind of going through this section of the Scripture, uh, you'll know the background again. Paul in prison in Rome, letter to the uh, church at Colossae, and a lot of stuff going on there. A lot of competing ideologies, a lot of differing teachings coming in. Uh, and so this is some of the stuff that was happening in the church. And so Epaphras, the pastor of the church, the founder of the church at least, went to Rome to seek Paul's wisdom and counsel, get some advice, and uh, he's wanting to communicate back to the church family, hey, here's some things we need to be aware of. And so Paul writes this letter with that intent, that purpose, and uh, he wants to bring preeminence to Christ. Because what was happening is there was a lot of mystical teachings. You know, a lot of people saying, uh, hey, you know, uh, do we really need structure in the church? I got a direct line with Jesus, and so therefore, uh, this is what I think we need to do. And there's this mystical idea behind things. There was also legalism that said, hey, Jesus is great, but you need to keep the, uh, the Mosaic Law. You need to do some of these ritualistic practices. You need to be circumcised. You need to do certain things. So it was a Jesus plus message. There were those who were saying, hey, we've got to worship angels. You know, angels, you know, they're, 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 they're revered in our culture and in and, and, and the day and age. And so we need to therefore, uh, uh, you know, esteem angels. And so Paul is going to address a lot of these false teachings that were basically, and this is what it always comes down to, guys. You know, you can always tell the lie of the isms and the cults by what they do with Jesus. And they always attack the deity of Christ. They will always go after that Christ's grace isn't sufficient. That it's uh, his, his blood, his, his sacrifice on the cross, His death, His burial, His resurrection. That somehow that's not quite enough. It's great, but you also need to do fill in the blank. Guys, that's a works-oriented message. His grace is sufficient. There is no Jesus plus. We learn this through Hebrews. Jesus is enough. And so if you're here this morning and you're, you're hoping one day to stand before a holy God because of all the great things you've done in life, I got news for you. You won't stand. Those are filthy rags in the presence of a holy God. The only thing that merits uh, any standing in the sight of God is the death, burial, and resurrection of His Son, Jesus Christ. His life was sinless. His shed blood was accepted. Me and you fall short. And so Paul is wanting to remind the readers that Christ, because of who He is, He should have preeminence. He should have preeminence in my life. He should have preeminence in your life. He should be priority in the church. And so he's writing to encourage the folks this. And he talked about this was because of the hope of the gospel. In this section, we were looking at uh, uh, 
Colossians 1.23. Let's just read this again just to kind of refresh our mind uh, as we dive into this this morning. Look, if you would, in Colossians 1.20. Uh, let's just go ahead and back it up for context 19, and we'll pick up from there in Colossians 1.19 and following. For it pleased the Father that in Him, Jesus, all the fullness should dwell. And by Him, Jesus, to reconcile all things to Himself by Him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of His cross. And you, who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now He has reconciled in the body of His flesh through death to present you holy, blameless, and above reproach in His sight. If indeed you continue in the faith, grounded, steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel. Because again, remember, there were competing gospels that were creeping in, and so some people were doubting that true gospel. But he's saying, if indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you, and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of His body, which is the church of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you, to fulfill the word of God, the mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. To them, God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we preach, warning every man, teaching every man in all wisdom, that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. To this end, I also labor, striving according to His working, which works in me mightily. Father, I pray this morning, that you would give me your thoughts, your words, that I would be your vessel. Uh, Lord, that the time that's been put in and study and preparation of this message would come through, that the truth of this passage in Scripture and the intent of you, the author, Lord, uh, would be clear, concise, and, and that it would reach the hearts of the listeners. Lord, I ask that you will remove any uh, distractions uh, this morning and that we would be focused on what you have to say, what the Spirit has to say, that we would meet with you this morning as, uh, Lord, there's many needs, no doubt, represented here in our midst today. You know the need of every person here. And Lord, I would also take this moment in prayer collectively as a family at Community Baptist Church as one of our own is struggling this morning, hurting and suffering. Uh, we think specifically of uh, the Pivovarskis, I think of Kelly Pivovarsky's mom, Denise Mullins. She's currently, as we pray, uh, either still in surgery or coming out of surgery. And uh, Lord, it's a, uh, 
a difficult situation, but it's not too difficult for you. And so you know the situation. You're fully aware. And Lord, we would just petition you on her behalf today that you might meet her with grace. And Lord, bring the healing that's needed and the help that's needed to those doctors and nurses in this moment, in this time of need. And be with the family to strengthen them in this hour of need. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, by way of update, I, uh, some of you may not have been able to see your email, and so uh, this morning I've been on the phone uh, texting back and forth uh, with Kelly and Andrew Pivovarsky. Her mom went in yesterday. We stopped by the hospital yesterday. Her uh, mother, Denise, you'll, you'll know the family sits right here on this side when they're here, and uh, Denise had some obstruction, and um, uh, she was taken in uh, due to a lot of pain. And uh, we're going to have to do some emergency surgery, uh, but she actually coded. They did CPR and revived her, and then she went into sespa shock, and so they're doing emergency surgery. So keep her in an attitude of prayer, and uh, I will follow up with the family uh, once I step out of here this morning. So just keep that in prayer, if you would, throughout, throughout the day. Um, that's what a church family does, right? And I, listen, I'm not knocking the large churches. Uh, God uses them. But I'm thankful for my intimate family. There's something nice about a, a, a small group that uh, enables us to, by name, pray for one another, to know one another, to develop relationship with one another. Because let's just be real, life is about relationship, isn't it? I mean, that's what life is about. We, uh, um, and, and that's why I, I, when I read the scriptures, when I think about uh, salvation isn't, isn't religion, it's relationship. God loves us. He loves us personally. He demonstrated that love for you and me that while we're still in our sin, He's willing to die for us. Now, that's love. That's love that goes beyond any relationship we know earthly, right? I mean, just, just fathom, I, just can't, I can't fathom that. It blows my mind when I stop and think about especially when I stop and think about when God met me in my sin and extended love and extended grace. And uh, so that's the message of the gospel, is it not? And so um, continue to pray for this family and uh, uh, just appreciate that. And I know they do as well. So we're talking about the hope of the gospel. And last time our message theme title was sacrificial service. And, and I think this is something that's often lost in the church today. We live in a society that's all, it's me-isms, it's, it's consumerism, it's materialism. It, it, it's a focus on self. It's my four and no more. And so we kind of uh, isolate ourselves, and we just worry about what affects us and we lose sight of the body as a whole. Guys, if there's one thing I have learned in studying the scriptures, it is Jesus Christ loves the local church. He loves the church. The church is you. The church is me. It's not just me. Okay? It's we. It's us as believers collectively. And if he loves the local gathering place, which by the way, there are local gathering places all around, but you happen to be at this local gathering church, right? You happen to be a part of this body if you're a member. And with being a member of this local body comes responsibility, comes relationship accountability, comes connection. And this is a vital part of what we do here. This is the local church. And, and so... We too, and this is not just pastor, you know, preaching a soapbox issue or in a sermon. Uh, I'm a firm believer that if Christ loved the church and gave his life for her, 
wouldn't it make sense that we too love the local church? I think it does. And so Paul is again writing for this very encouragement because he's going to say, as he's conveyed, because of the hope of the gospel, this is why he's writing. You recall last time we talked about that Paul's, Paul's following Christ's example. And, and as your pastor, I'm trying to follow Paul and Christ's example. And hopefully I am being transparent enough that you might follow my example and Paul's examples and Christ's example. At the end of the day, my, my job as a pastor is not to be a door, it's to be a window. Because I, I, I don't want you to look at me. I don't want you to see me. I want you to see through me to the one I represent. My desire is to live a life that's transparent, that, that you don't see, Jeremy, that you see Christ in me. And listen, I can promise you, when you look this way, you will see the imperfections of the window. But look past that. And I'll make a, I, I, I'll, I'll make a deal with you. I, I will do that with you. I will do that with you as long as, as I expect from you to do so as within bounds of the authority of Scripture. You have a responsibility of holding me as your pastor accountable. I have a responsibility as your pastor to you to hold you accountable. This is what brothers and sisters do in Christ. And so Paul is writing to hold them accountable because he recognizes some potential dangers that are coming in. And, and most of the people in the church that are reading this letter, some of them may not even have a clue. In fact, they may have great relationships with the ones that Paul is exposing. Oh, and that's when it gets tough, doesn't it? When you have a close relationship with someone that's... I mean, just imagine. Imagine for just one moment. Put yourself in the shoes in the church at Colossae. It's growing. Man, there's a lot of new families there. There's a lot happening. There's a lot of things going on. But one of your good friends is bringing in Judaism. Or one of your friends is bringing in asceticism. Or one of your friends is bringing in uh, mysticism. Or one of your friends is bringing in angel worship. Oh, it's subtle. Because again, we've learned this through Jude. They creep in unaware, right? Unnoticed. So most people don't even notice. But a shepherd's responsibility is to protect the flock. And sometimes we as sheep, we don't always see what's going on on the other side of the herd. That's my impersonation of a sheep raising his head. But a shepherd is given that responsibility to oversee the flock. I don't know how to explain it. All I know is I know how to read it. And this is what God says. And so think about this. Here's Epaphras. He sees it. He was the founder of this church. He's probably one of the shepherds of the flock. And he's seeing it, and he's concerned because there's some good things going on, and he loves these people, and yet he's concerned, and he's given it to the Lord, and the wisdom is that I need to talk to my mentor, I need to talk to the one who discipled me. He goes to Paul, and Paul is sharing these things, and so he's addressing these things. Guys, nothing's changed from Paul's day to our day. This still goes on. Christ has told us, the Word of God has told us this. But he says as we hold to the hope of the gospel, when we're looking at sacrificial service, that, it's gonna, that when we serve the Lord and love the local church, it's going to come with hurt. It's going to come with pain. It's going to come with suffering. It's going to come with affliction. It's going to come with sacrifice. But he says in verse 24, and we talked about this last time, I won't spend a lot of time here, but he said we rejoice. We rejoice. Look at verse 24. I now rejoice in my sufferings for you. 
Why is Paul in prison? He's not in prison because that's where... You know what? I think I'm going to go to prison today. You know, when I worked security at, at, at Piedmont when I was in Bible college, um, when I first went to school there, security wasn't even this good. This chair's got padding. We had a metal chair in the middle of the parking lot with an umbrella in a storm. That was security. I kid you not. I mean, it, it was, yeah, it was, it was small school. I mean, it was so small. You know, sometimes when you go in like a changing room, you got to change. You know, there's not a lot of room to work. This, this, this school was so small, you had to go outside just to change your mind. I mean, anyway, this, sorry. And we would work security on a, on a little, little chair out in the middle of nowhere. And it was like, you know, now it's, it, it, it's progressed. Now I think they've actually just now brought on the police force, the local police force. <laughs> and trust me, they needed it way back then because Barney Fife here was helping do security. But anyway. <laughs> Paul was doing this not for his own sake. He was doing this because of his love for the local church. He, his desire was to be a protector of the sheep. Um... I was actually going somewhere with my story, but I forgot. <laughs> See, that's that window. I told you. <laughs> Just ignore that little smog, that little block. Yeah, there you go. I got I got anyway, never mind. Yeah, thank you. It does. I'm just saying. We rejoice in suffering. Paul says, look, rejoice in suffering. Rejoice in affliction. Why? Because it was for the sake of the body of Christ. It was for the church. He was in prison. He was in chains. And he was still willing to suffer for their sake. We found in verse 25, we're to render. He said we're to render service. Remember, we looked at this word. This is that word diakonos. It's the word that we use for deacon. It's the general word for service. It, it talks about one who executes the commands of another especially of a master, of a servant, of an attendant, of a minister. It's the servant of a king. It's a waiter, one who, who serves food and drink. It's a field hand. It's, it's a person who desires to help and serve, wash the feet of others. This is all of our calling as followers of Christ, one to another. He says as, that we're to render stewardship. And that's the Greek word oikonomia. And it's the management of a household. It's, it's of household affairs. Specifically, the management or oversight, the administration of others' property. Guys, my responsibility, I, under, I can relate to Paul's example. I understand his example. This, this is just a responsibility entrusted as a pastor. And if the Lord tarries and, and, and this church continues for another 200 years, you will have many men fill this position. That doesn't change its responsibility. Whether you like the person, dislike the person, whether they're good, they're bad, they're ugly, whatever the case, doesn't change the responsibility that God has placed within the local church. And that is one of, of oversight, one of stewardship. And so Paul says this. He says that we're to rejoice in our sufferings and rejoice in our affliction. And, and, and why? Because it's for your sake. Paul knows that what he's suffering is not because of his own... This is just something he wanted to do. 
But he loved the Lord and he loved people and that's why he shared the gospel and he was willing to endure those things. He's willing to offer the service that's needed. He's willing to render stewardship and manage this that's been entrusted to his watch care. Why? Why? Lori, now you have a cushion seat. Anyway. He says, it was given to me for you. And this is where we talked about, uh, you remember last week when, when I shared with you Paul's conversion. Remember, he was Saul. and He's going to kill some Christians. And he had the road to Damascus experience. And, and basically God says, I'm going to use this man. And everybody's kind of scared. They're like, oh, wait a minute. This guy, this is the guy that kills Christians. And, and he's telling um, Barnabas, he's like, look, this guy's going to come to you. And just know, he's like, oh, this guy's reputation precedes him. I know about this cat. He's not a good guy. He's like, look. You just do what I say. I got a lot of things he's going to have to suffer for my namesake. And we talked about God's calling is God's calling. And you remember I shared my own personal story of how God called me into full-time ministry. My own personal road to Damascus. And not every pastor has a road to Damascus type experience, but they better have a calling. So I pick up today in this question, what? What about this? What, you know, what is the point here? Again, we go back into the text. He says in verse 24, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of His body, which is the church. And we talked about how that lack and that, that um, uh, lacking in the afflictions wasn't that somehow that adds to Christ's atoning work. No, no, no. That's actually, again, the, that idea of because we belong to Christ and now we are presently uh, representing Christ. Christ is not here physically in the flesh. You are. And this is part of God's plan to use you, to use me, to further the gospel. And that will result in suffering. Anyone who chooses to live a righteous life for Christ, those of you who choose to be an example, those of you who choose to live out your faith, you will suffer and have afflictions for the cause of Christ. Verse 25, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God. Again, that's, that's very clear. This wasn't something he signed up for. This is, this is something from God, which was given to me. And by the way, why was it given to him? For you. You know why Pastor Jeremy was called to Community Baptist Church? It wasn't for me and my family, though it's been a blessing, and I love it, and I'm thankful, and I'm grateful, especially in the desert we'd walked through for 10 years, though there were many bright and beautiful oasises along the... Is that an oasis? Is that a, probably not. Anyway, you know what I'm saying. And, and many bright spots in our journey. But I didn't come here for me. God brought me here for you. I'm here for you. And so as Paul is relating and conveying the truth of Christ to those entrusted to his watch care, to encourage Epaphras to take this message back to his people, that's my desire. That's Pastor Nate's desire. That's Pastor Dean's desire. Our desire is not to be self-serving in this. It's to serve you with the truth which was given to me for you. And why do we do this? Why does Paul do this? Why does Epaphras do this? Why is this written here? It's to fulfill the Word of God. 
See, I ain't smart enough to figure that one out. <laughs> you know, I'm a bumbling idiot, and that's on my good day. Well, really not. I don't bumble so much. Thank you. Thank you in the booth. Verse 26, the mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations that now has been revealed to his saints. Well, what is this mystery? Many are asking, what is this mystery? mystery? Oh, man, you are awesome. Well, I'm glad you asked. What was the purpose? What was the purpose of this? It was to fill the Word of God. So what Word of God was it to, to fulfill? What is this mystery? And I kind of hit on this just briefly last time. The Gentiles would become partakers of His promise through the gospel. You see, in the Old Testament, they didn't see the church. They didn't see this happening. They were practicing, you know, again, the Mosaic Law, the Ceremonial Law, the Levitical Law. All these laws were, you know, again, as citizens of God's chosen people, they practiced these things. Don't let anybody tell you today, well, if you want to be a good Christian, then don't eat shellfish. They do not understand the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. They just reveal their ignorance on media and television. It, I mean, really, any time you hear that, you should just sigh and be like, feel sorry for the people. Sorry enough to share the gospel with them because the Old Testament covenant, the Old Testament practices were fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Christ said, I didn't come to do away with the law, but I did come to fulfill the law. And He says, I offer you a new covenant in my shed blood. And so you and I, again, not under law, under grace, His grace is sufficient. By the way, the Old Testament believer and the New Testament believer both had faith in the same object, Jesus Christ. Christ is the fulfillment of the Old Testament from the fall of man, through Noah, through Abraham, through Moses, through all the prophets, all through that line, when you read the Old Testament, they're all waiting, they're all looking to the coming promise of the Messiah. They're all putting their faith, their hope, not if they're they're believers, if they're faithful believers, it's because of faith in Christ coming in the Old Testament, not because they were circumcised and because they did these rules... That was supposed to be an outworking of their faith and belief. That's why they did what they did. But they were looking for Jesus. Now, as New Testament believers, you and I, as born-again believers in Christ, we have the benefit and privilege, praise God, to know the history. This has happened. We can look back at Jesus and see how Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament writings. Read Hebrews and see how Christ was was a a fulfillment of those things that were shadow. He is the substance of it. But both Old Testament and New Testament saints look to Jesus Christ for His atoning work. We all get there the same way through Jesus Christ. And apart from Him, there is no other way. And so this idea, though, that the Gentiles would be included in God's kingdom, 
to the Old Testament Jew, that was atrocious. That was, no, those are dogs. Those guys are the only, I mean, yes, you could somehow proselytize them and somehow maybe you know, have a few rare converts, but no, the, the, the message as a whole, passing on, the, that, that grace being extended to them, that was foreign and hidden to most of the people in the Old Testament. I love the way it's often illustrated when you see the prophets and you read them, the prophets of the Old Testament and, and this idea of mountaintops, and I'm sure Larry has touched on this in his study through Daniel and Revelation, that it would be like if you're standing on a mountaintop and all you see are the mountaintops of other mountains. You can't see what's hidden down in the valley. And so when you read a, a, a prophet writing about the end time, he sees the end time, so to speak, the other mountain peak. But what he doesn't see is the church age, the time of grace that is in the valley prior to it. And we're in that season of grace. We're in the church age. And so when Paul says that this was a mystery, this was a hidden thing, this is what he means. It's now revealed. It's not a mystery anymore. The gospel message, because the Jews rejected their Messiah, Jesus Christ, Paul himself has become a minister specifically to take the message to the gospel nations. And it was to fulfill the word of God. Don't take my word for it, let's read scripture. Ephesians 3, 4 through 6, it says, By which, when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to His holy apostles and prophets, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of His promise in Christ through the gospel. I mean, that's straightforward, isn't it? You say, well, Pastor, you should have just read that. It saved us a lot of time. Well, thank you for pointing that out. Romans 11.25 says this, For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Interesting thing there, he talks about uh, that, that's that section coming out of Romans 10 where he talks about how the natural branch, Jesus is the vine, and the natural branch, the Jewish nation of Israel, he says, is broken off. And then the wild olive branch is grafted in. He's speaking of the Gentiles, the gospel going to the Gentiles. They're grafted in. And then he gives a little warning, he says, hey, just like this natural branch was broken off, don't think the wild branch can't be broken off and the natural added back in. And I think there's a little uh, end time reference there because we also know in Matthew when Jesus speaks of until the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled. And then he turns his attention back to Israel. Don't think that a wild branch can't be broken off and the natural be added back in. There's something to that. I don't care who you are in your dispensation or uh, covenant theology or whatever school of thought you're in. Colossians 1, 19-29. Again, we looked at, this is where we finished last week, the hope of the gospel. And today we're looking at the hope of glory. So what about this hope of glory? What about it? Well, let's take a look. 
The hope of glory is really answered in verse 27. And if you'll notice, let's read that there. To them... Again, let's go back to 26. The mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. That, okay, that qualifies a certain group. This is not just the Gentiles, period. Just like in the Old Testament, just because you were Israelite didn't mean you were saved. Right? Just because you were circumcised didn't mean you were going to heaven. Okay? Just because you're a Gentile or just because you're in the church doesn't mean you're going to heaven. Now, if you're in the church, the real church, the born-again, blood-bought group of people, then yes. But just because you come to these four walls called a church doesn't mean you're in no more than somebody who kept the laws just to keep the laws meant they were in. Faith in the finished work of Christ. Faith in Christ alone. And so he says, to them, the saints, his saints, that's a qualified group, to them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. And here it is, which is Christ in you. The hope of glory. The hope of glory. Paul wants them to know, look, you got your hope, Colossae. You got your, your believers there. You, you got your hope originally through the gospel. And if you're here this morning, you came to know Jesus Christ because of the gospel. It was the hope of the gospel. It was by the hope of the gospel that you were, you, you were placed in the body of Christ. And it's because of the hope of glory that we continue. It's because of Christ in you that you are able to strive to move forward in your walk. Christ in you. The hope of glory. You see, we look forward to a return. Our Lord and Savior is coming. He is coming physically in the resurrected body. He will one day return for His bride, the church. That is me and you. He is coming one day. Just as real as I'm talking to you, just as real as this moment is, it's the reality. Jesus Christ will one day uh, descend and a shout of a trumpet will be heard. He will return for His, his bride. He's promised that. He's the hope of glory. This is why Paul says he preaches this. This is why your pastor preaches this. What do we preach? Him. Notice verse 28. Him we preach. I'm not up here this morning uh, preaching that go through the new members class and you can be saved. I'm not saying that. Right? By the way, if you're looking to go through the new members class... I appreciate greatly your patience. The calendar is not cooperating, all right? <laughs> so we're, we haven't forgotten you. We're getting there. But a new members class doesn't make you a part of the body of Christ, right? Now, being a part of a local church as an active member is important. Don't discard. See, a lot of people do that. A lot of people, and that's what Paul's addressing. By the way, our quiet time this morning. Man, that was a good quiet time, right in line with this. If you haven't read your Word of Life quiet time, you need to go back and read that this morning. In fact, I was tempted to bring my little booklet and go through that in this section because there's some really applicable things for where we're at in the book of Colossians. But there were people there that were mystical in the midst of that church and they were basically saying, well, you know, we don't necessarily have to be accountable to because i got a direct line with Jesus. And so it was as if they were given... And this is part of the problems in, in Corinth. We're reading in, in 1 Corinthians. And that was part of the problems in Corinth. There was too much fleshliness, too much striving, too much uh, uh, self-serving. 
And so they weren't accountable to the, to the leadership of that local church. And, and, and so some were saying, well, I'm of a, I'm a Paul. Well, I'm of Apollos. Well, I'm of Peter. So we don't got to listen to y'all. Nanana boo boo. You know, now I'm thankful in this church we don't have that same thing going on. Well, I'm not of Jeremy, I'm of Dean. Well, la dee da, I'm of Nate. I mean, but that's what they're talking about. That's what it would look like. And that's silly, isn't it? And that's what Paul's saying. Did you, did you receive, you know, it, it, you, you don't have anything unless you received it, right? It, when it comes to the gospel, you have nothing. Christ is fullness. He's everything. Apart from Him, we have nothing. So, so I am grateful for the pastors in my life. I really am. You know, the, the thing they did give me, they preached Him. They gave me faithfully the message, the hope of the gospel, which has in return produced within me the hope of glory. <laughs> you see how that works? So Pastor Nate, Pastor Dean, and Pastor Jeremy, if, if, if we're being prayed for and Praise God, we should be prayed for. I can't ever understand. I'm just going to say this. I'm going to get on my, my wife's already scared to death. Why in the world you can post a you know, preacher's post, pray for your pastor, and get biblical, biblical, biblical reasons? Nobody respond. Crickets. No one ever, one of them saw it. Ouch. But I'm going to post some foolish tomfoolery up there and everybody going, going crazy over it. Something wrong, guys. I'm just saying. I'm being a good, faithful pastor here. Something's wrong in society. Just saying. Pray for your pastors. It's biblical. Paul says, pray for us, brother. Pray that the gospel will have free course. It'll run unhindered. I'm not asking you for... Pray my 401k grows. I really need it to. If only it could be the size of my waistline, we'd be in business. No, that's not what I'm asking you to pray for. I'm asking you to pray that I be faithful to the gospel. I'm asking you that you pray for Pastor Nate, that his family be protected from the attacks of Satan. I'm asking you to pray for Pastor Dean, that as he, he ministers to his family in a time of need, that he's faithful in doing so, that he has the strength to do so. These are the things that we see in Scripture to pray. And church, isn't that what you want from us? We need your prayers to pray for you. Because we're flesh and, and blood too. We struggle just like you struggle with. We put our pants on just like you. On our head. Anyways. <laughs> Explains a lot, doesn't it? Back to what we were saying. We preach Him. Let's preach Him, right? But we also warn... This is what Paul says here. He says, we warn. This is part of that calling, part of that responsibility. If we're going to be faithful ministers of the gospel, then we need to warn every man. Not just the ones we like. <laughs> and some of us want to definitely warn. We have no problem warning the ones we don't like. Oh, you're going to hell if you don't get right. I'm just telling you. You need to get right with Jesus. You know, we, we kind of go after the ones that are mean, mean and ugly. That's not how we do it, guys. That's not in love. But we do warn them. I mean, that is the truth message, is it not? I mean, if somebody does not, we can say that unequivocally. Well, you shouldn't judge, Pastor. That, again, that's not judging. That is simply saying what the Scriptures say. If someone does not receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, then they will step into eternity. 
they will be separated from God and they will be in a place called hell that will then be cast into the lake of fire which will burn forever. I mean, how bad do we got to hate somebody to allow that to happen? And yet, Christ is not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. He was willing to come and, and take on the form of a man and offer grace to everyone, to whosoever will, let him come. So that when every man stands before a holy God, they can't say, well, if only, if I, well, if I would have known him, blah, 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 blah. No, they stand without excuse. Because the things that may be known of God are clearly seen. They're clearly evident to them. That's why when you look at creation, you know there's a creator. That's why it doesn't matter which part of the world you're born in. You have a natural revelation that you either suppress in unrighteousness or you pursue. And you only pursue it because, again, of God's grace that even gave you that picture in the first place. And God's ultimate grace is found in the person of Jesus Christ. The man who lights all men came into the world, but yet man loves darkness rather than light. And that's why they don't come to Jesus. Don't, don't, don't hide behind excuses. Well, they're in the Bongo, Congo, or whatever. Or, or, or they, they had a tough upbringing. They did. Guys, those are, those are still excuses that will not stand in the presence of God on the day of judgment. And so we warn. If you really care, if you're really concerned about those in the jungle, take on the gospel. We teach. Paul says, how do we teach? In all wisdom. In all wisdom. Wow, wait a minute. Do you know you have all wisdom? <laughs> Smarties, a bunch of smarty pants, I think, right? <laughs> yeah, okay, I'm one of them. No, but it says, how do we, in all wisdom. You actually do have the mind of Christ. You, you want to know what's on God's mind? Spend some time with Him. You'll find out. This is, this is the very thoughts of God. These are the very words of God. All Scripture is God-breathed. So this goes beyond thoughts. This is, this, this is the very Word of God. So how do we teach? In all wisdom. The Bible says, Let this mind be in you which is in Christ Jesus. When I got saved, when God saved me out of a very, you guys know my testimony, wicked life. Very sinful life. My mind, and look, I still have scars. You, you know, if I was, went through a fire, if, if I was severely burned and, and came out of a fire, and uh, maybe you know, a building had collapsed on me, you'd be able to see visibly scars, and I, I could be all hideous looking, and, 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 and bones maybe even broken. And, and that would be a constant. Guys, the inside of your pastor has a lot of, Wounds and scars from my own hand, from my own choosing, from my own doing. And as a new believer, I can't tell you how vital the very Word of God was. When it says it's life, it's life. When it says it's healing, it's healing. Because I'm telling you, I am still very much under construction, but I am extremely grateful for the life-giving Word of God. Because it's salve to my soul, it's salve to my conscience and my mind. It helps me. And so when he says, renew, renew yourself through the washing of the water of the word daily. You bathe daily, don't you? Don't raise your hand, <laughs> especially if you didn't. <laughs> anyway. We want to bathe daily with the word of God, right? I mean, this is needed to refresh us, to renew us. So how do we teach in all wisdom? Paul's wanting to say this. Why? 
Why? To present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. What? Ain't nobody perfect. You perfect? I know what y'all was thinking. Nobody got time for that either. You better, right? Hey, to present, Paul says to, men, to present every man perfect. Why the hope of the gospel? Why the hope of glory? It's for you. And it's to present every man perfect. Don't miss that phrase. In Christ Jesus. You see, this is what happens a lot of times for us Christians. Christians either live in lawlessness because I'm under grace. So I'm just going to keep doing my life. Hey, Christ died for me, right? My, 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 all my sins, past, present, future are forgiven, so I'm just going to live in sin. That's somebody who does not understand the gospel. That is someone who I would venture to say is either self-deceived, all right, and they've never actually come to saving faith. And that's a very scary place to be. They're inoculated to the gospel. They have a head knowledge of it, but they don't have a transforming knowledge of it. And us Baptists get a bad rep a lot of times because our holiness brethren will say, well, you guys think that once saved, always saved, but you, you live like the devil all week, and then you, know, you think you're going to get into heaven. The world calls that hypocrites. There's a hypocrisy in that, right? The reality is, I think, uh, uh, in our defense, it should be, well, if somebody's doing that and living that way on a practicing basis, they're living in a lifestyle of practicing sin, we need to advise them to do as Paul said, examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. Now, at the end of the day, only God is the final judge on their eternal destination. We learned that in our quiet time this morning, too. But the reality is, that if God's word is true, and it is, there's a couple of things we're warned about in 1 John. He says, if any man says he does not sin, he's a liar. That's the other side of the coin. So you got your lawlessness, and then you got your self-righteous person. And a lot of our holiness brethren, and I'm not saying all, I'm making broad strokes, Baptist, holiness, whatever, they oftentimes will camp out in that sinless perfection that somehow we can achieve perfection on this side of the earth. And so if I do something to fall in my sin, oh, I, I, need, to get, I, I need to get right. I could lose my salvation. And that's not what the Bible teaches. Not what the Bible teaches. They have a misunderstanding of the gospel of Christ too. In fact, that's very dangerous because that can potentially become a works gospel. I did something to remove me from the hand of God. Therefore, I must do something to get back in the hand of God. That's on man. That's not on Christ. That's a false gospel. You need to be careful. I'm not saying somebody's always going to misunderstand me. That's all right. They misunderstand Jesus. I guess we're in good company. <laughs> Self-righteousness, lawlessness. But here's the reality. God's desire in the gospel, the hope of the gospel, is for the hope of glory. That Christ will have His will and way in our heart and life. Therefore, if any man is in Christ Jesus, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are becoming new. There should be transforming grace that is evidential in the life. 
And guys, this is where I do challenge us all to examine ourselves, to see if we're in the faith. Just because your brother and sister in Christ is striving to live a holy life, don't think they're self-righteous. Nor should we just because someone is struggling with sin. Now again, there's a difference in struggling and striving against. There's another thing to be camped out in it. Right? And this is where oftentimes we, we, we miss this discernment. But we need not assume either there too need to be careful in this. But it should be noted, whether, whether side you're on, whichever side you're on in that, in that understanding, the gospel in its regeneration, in its transformation power, should be creating within us a new walk. A new walk. Buried in the likeness of his death, dead to the old sin, to the old sinful man in its nature. Raised to walk in newness of life. That's not perfection, but that's a new direction. And I'm not talking about the music group for all you little kids. Thank you for paying attention. Notice what he says. The hope of glory. It's to present. Verse 29. This is our goal. Notice what he says here. To this end I also labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. This is our labor, guys. Yes, we should be laboring in our walk. We don't labor for salvation, we labor, labor from salvation. If Christ is in you, the hope of glory, it should cause us to want to move forward. My striving, God has chosen us to be His hands and His feet. And this is again that continual working out when Paul says adding to his afflictions. This is what he's talking about, that we continue to strive, we continue to labor for the cause of Christ. So you are His hands, you are His feet. And so we keep struggling. We keep striving. His working. Recognizing that it's according to His working which works in me mightily. That's what should be at work in us. Not me doing better. Not me trying harder. But recognizing that it's His work within me. Philippians 2, 12, 13 says, "Is therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for His good pleasure. This is a great passage that reminds us. Again, salvation is not something we work for. That's not what he's saying. But if it's been worked in, you need to work it out. Right? This is what we do. We work out. In other words, we live it out. We let it change us. We let it lead us. We let it grow us. We strive. We labor. We shouldn't practice sin, but we sure should practice holiness. Let me say that again. We shouldn't practice sin. We give a greater pass to people who practice sin than people who practice holiness. That's where the church is today. I'm just making a real clear statement. From experience, I'll give you that. Something wrong with this. God said, be holy for I'm holy. That doesn't mean I'm, perf I'm perfect. Don't measure me up just because, you know, you see me stumble or because you see me do well. If you see me do well, there's nothing in me to boast about except Christ in me, Right? So let's cheer each other on in that race, right? Nate ran a race yesterday. 
Woohoo! Second place in his age division. Good job, Pastor Nate. I know some of y'all thought he was a guy that finished under two hours. We saw that news flash of the marathon. It wasn't Nate, but maybe one day. <laughs> maybe not. <laughs> but that's okay. He's running his race, right? Guess what? I'm running my race. You're running your race. But we're running this race together, church. Let's encourage one another. Let's build up each other. Let's, let's root each other on as we, as we move forward. Romans 12, 1, 2, Paul's doing the same thing here. Notice what Paul says. He says, I beg you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, the hope of the gospel, the hope of glory, Christ in you, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And to not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Amen? So here's the conclusion. God calls us all to sacrificial service. He calls us all to sacrificial service because of the hope of the gospel. We can rejoice in suffering. We can rejoice in affliction because of the gospel. Because of the hope of the gospel, we can render service and stewardship in fulfilling God's word. By the hope of glory, we're able to preach warning and teaching every man in all wisdom. By the hope of glory, we're able to present every man perfect in Christ Jesus by striving and working according to His working which works in us mightily. Because here's what's happened. He made you a promise. He who began a good work in you, Jesus Christ, will fulfill it in the day of redemption. You will be perfect one day. You will, he will, you will see Him as He is and you will be as He is. Isn't that... You talk about hope of glory? That's crazy, isn't it? That's, I mean, just imagine... Well, we will know as He... We will know Him as He is. We will one day be in perfection because to be in His presence, that's what is required. And the only way we're in that presence is in Him. In Him and us. And that's that transforming grace, the hope of glory. So here's our application. God has given us a ministry, church. It's because of the gospel that you're even called to it. It's not going to be without sacrifice. It's not going to be without sacrifice. God has given us the means. It's by the hope of the glory, Christ in us, that we must strive and work realizing it is Him who is at work within us. Therefore, Let's all be ministers of the gospel in the power of His strength, in the power of His strength until He completes in us what He started. I want to let, in, in light of this application, I want to remind us as a church, this little blue book is our church covenant. This is one of the things we go through in our new members class. And inside of this is something that we as members said yes to. As a follower of Christ, as a member of Community Baptist Church, we said yes to this relationship, to this covenant. And I would encourage you to revisit it. We're doing something new with our department heads. You've been asked, department heads, if you didn't check your email, you need to check your email. We need your vision for your department. If you don't know if you're a department head, just ask. We can clear it up. You should know your department head. <laughs> anyway, ask. 
We're asking that all of our department heads moving forward will sign a declaration of moral integrity. We live in a, in a crazy day, guys. But don't you want someone who's teaching your child or overseeing a ministry to be scripturally minded? Don't we, don't we desire that those that are entrusted to ministry watch care in this church, that we guard that with, with, the, with the sacredness of what God calls us to as followers of Christ? Not just leaders, but followers of Christ? And by the way, what you'll find on that declaration of moral integrity is exactly what you've already agreed to. We're just asking you to sign your name to it. And if you can't sign your name to it, it's okay. That's between me and you, all right, and the Lord. And, and we can find a way for you to continue serving, just not in that leadership role. Just like I'm held to a standard according to Scripture, and I'm held accountable to you, by you, according to those qualifications. We feel the integrity and the purity of the church is, is, is important that we be a part of this. And so just know that that's coming. Um, and actually, it's, it's already been here since the church was founded. In a day when churches are slipping, they're slipping, guys, into apostasy. This is what Paul is warning and writing about in Colossae. By God's grace, let's ask Him to renew us by His transforming power. No one's asking you to be perfect. Don't ever think that's what this thing's about. This, either of them. God's not asking us to be perfect. He is our perfection. But He is asking us to strive and labor against sin by His grace for the sake of the gospel. That's important. Philippians 1.6 Being confident of this very thing that He who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for Paul's encouragement here. Lord, it's because of the hope of the gospel and it's by the hope of glory, Christ in us, that we can even live out our lives. We struggle, we strive, we fall, we get up, we go. And yet, Lord, I, I fear that uh, we live in a day that, just like Paul, even there, was, was addressing. There's so many isms and, and dangers and warnings of, of, of those that might creep in unnoticed or philosophies or teachings that, that seem to just pull at us. Lord, may we just simply look to Christ, silence all the confusion, and just let us look to Jesus Christ and His truth. You've laid it out in Your Word. Give us obedient hearts simply to follow, simply to obey. And Lord, if there be anyone here that doesn't know Jesus Christ, their Lord and Savior, I would pray that today would be their day of salvation. That they would recognize that we all have sinned. Every one of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And by faith today, may they turn from that sin and turn to the Savior. And by faith receive Christ as their Lord and their Savior. You made a promise, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, 
shall be saved. And if that's you today and you're here or you're watching or listening, podcasts or on television, wherever you, you, you're tuning in, would you let us know? I want to encourage you in your um, response to Christ. I, I, want to, I want to encourage you in a walk with Christ. And so uh, we'll give you some materials, some things that will help you uh, spiritually feed and grow in the grace as we're all striving to do. And Lord, we'll thank you for what you alone can do. And we give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, guys.